Parents, welcome to another episode of The Journey, a podcast intended to educate, equip, and entertain you as we talk about important issues facing our families. PCA is a Christ-centered, biblically-based, and family-focused community of committed believers doing life together. We hope the information you hear on this podcast informs and inspires you to be a better parent. Welcome to The Journey. Hey, parents, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Panetti. Um, Here at uh, Institute for Creation Research, uh, the Discovery Center, uh, down here at Luna and Royal, about 20 minutes from PCA. So um, parents, when you want to come down and visit ICR uh, at the Discovery Center, uh, make sure you don't come down on a Monday. Right. uh, Because we're here on a Monday and it is quiet because nobody else is here, uh, except for our scientists who came in uh, today to record a little podcast with you. But uh, this is definitely a place that uh, our parents want to check out uh, to see some of the, uh, the evidence of God's creation, his design. Um, one of the things that you guys have here is a planetarium. Yes. Uh, where you can actually come in, watch a video, um, and learn about uh, just some of the amazing things that are going on. Um, scripture talks about, you know this verse probably super well, right? But in Psalm 19, where it talks about right. the heavens declare uh, the glory of God. Um, that's what I want to ask you, right? Is when we, when we read that particular verse, the heavens declare the glory of God, what does that specifically mean? What can we learn about God by looking to the heavens? Because there's a, a pretty uh, significant event coming up um, in a couple of months. April 8th, there's going to be an eclipse, a total right. eclipse. We're in the path of totality. Did I Correct. say that right? Yeah, that's Ooh. right. We're in the path of totality. We need to make sure we get our um, eclipse sunglasses. Sure. Because you don't want to look at an eclipse right just through the, right, the yeah. naked eye. Oh, yeah. um, but all these different things that are happening help our parents kind of get a better understanding of uh, what do we learn about God and why is the eclipse such an amazing event? And then maybe uh, kind of dive into some of the new and recent discoveries that you guys have had that help you understand a little bit more maybe about um, how old the earth is by looking not at the earth and at the dinosaurs and the flood and all the different rock strata, but by looking at stars and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's why we're going to talk to Dr. Um, uh, Hebert today. Give us a little bit about your background first. Well, uh, I, I've been a Christian since I was seven years old, okay. and uh, I've been interested in the subject of creationism since I was in middle school. Uh, about that time, you know, that's when they first introduce you to the theory of evolution in right. school and the idea of an old earth. And um, I remember reading a book, uh, Scientific Creationism, that was loaned to me by a close family friend. And that book really changed my life. It got me excited about the fact that there is scientific evidence for creation. And I I just became hooked Mm. on the subject, and I've been uh, fascinated by it ever since. And, uh, you know, my background's in physics, but for a long time now I've wanted to do uh, this kind of work. And for me it's a dream come true uh, to be able to serve the Lord in this way and to uh, share this information with people. Yeah, how so, long have you been on staff at ICR? Uh, about eleven or twelve years. Okay, now. yeah, mm-hmm. very good. Yeah, all right. So um, when we when we think about um, just the uh, let, let's start with the eclipse, mm-hmm. right? Um, help our parents understand what this particular event is, why it's important, um, and how they can use it maybe as a teaching opportunity for their students to talk about just kind of the majesty of God. Like, what, right. what, what, here's the deal. What is an eclipse for? Well, basically, you know, what we're talking about here, there's different kinds of eclipses, okay. but we're talking about a total solar eclipse. Uh, and that's where the moon comes between the earth and the sun, and you've got the, the, the moon's shadow falling on the earth. And depending on where you are, 
if you're in the right location, uh, the sun is completely blocked. Yes. And so, which PCA will actually be? <laughs> yes, in, we're in the right location, right? We're we're you know Dallas is kind of in that Dallas path of totality. The, for this particular eclipse. Dallas is in what we call the path of totality. Yeah, and so depending on where you are exactly, you can expect maybe three to four minutes of pretty much total darkness. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, I've seen one total solar eclipse before in 2017. It, it's really something to see. And I would encourage people to make an effort, uh, you know, to, to make, to see this eclipse. Um, and of course, for those in the Dallas area, that's not too hard, but e- even people who may be homeschoolers mm-hmm. who may not live along the path of totality, I, you know, I would make an effort. I, it's, it's something to see. Uh, I would recommend though, that you make preparations in advance because, uh, hotels are going to be filled up. You know, you kind of have to yeah. make, make... Well, they said that Dallas should expect well over a million people coming into our community That for doesn't this. surprise me. That right. really does not surprise and me. And yes. you want to go online and you want to find um, a great place to get your glasses, right. order those. My, my family's already gotten those. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be around 1 to 2 p.m., somewhere in that time range. That sounds about right. Okay. I, th- I want to say 12. I, it, it, I have to go look it up to be sure, but it's on April 8th. Yes, which is a Monday. It's a Monday. That's correct. Yep. And the and the Saturday before that, we are having a special event uh, at Forney Baptist Church for the eclipse. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so we we're really excited. We've got two NASA astronauts, including General Charlie Duke, one of the Apollo astronauts. So we're real excited about so that. So cool. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So you know, this is um, a great chance for people to just see. God's glory. Mm. You know, the, the, the solar eclipses, uh, one thing that's really interesting about these total solar eclipses is they are, they require an amazing coincidence, if you want to call it that, because mm. the sun is about 400 times bigger than the moon, but the moon is about 400 times closer. And so it, it, it's really remarkable that you can get these, these perfect solar eclipses. You don't see that anywhere else in the solar system. Even if we could travel to other planets in the solar systems, you would not see these kind of solar eclipses. And it's an amazing coincidence, if you want to call it that, that the one place where we can see it, you've got people who can appreciate it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, think, I think God designed it that way. I yeah. think there's a number of reasons he did that. You, know, you can learn a lot of science from these eclipses. They're also very useful in chronology because they can help you date things. And they're just also very beautiful, beautiful to look at. Now, of course, when I say look at, don't look at yeah, it. Yeah. You, you got to be I careful. Mean, don't look at, look at it with your yeah, with directly. Uh, the only time it's safe to do that is when it, when you've got totality, when it's completely covered. Um, it's not so much that the sun is any more dangerous on the day of the eclipse than at other times, but on other times, you're not tempted to just stare at it. Right. That, that's the that's the thing. So. Uh, you want to get those good a good pair of glasses from a reputable manufacturer, and even if you can't get those, you can make a pinhole camera. You know there there are ways you can do that. Welcome you know? to YouTube videos. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look it up, in it fact, out. we have a little booklet at ICR okay. that explains ways that people can do that. Yeah. 
Well, that's fantastic. Um, let's talk about though uh, those other things because you you mentioned the word coincidence, right? right. Which you, what you mean by that is um, isn't God kind of crazy in His design when He sometimes He just shows off and we go, yeah, isn't, isn't that neat? Look at yeah, that. Yeah, it is right. uh, because we are here and we can appreciate it and we can appreciate some of the other designs that God has given us um, because the Earth is. Um, kind of specifically fine-tuned for human life. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also some things, right, because um, as you look out into the universe itself, um, what are we learning about um, Earth and creation and God by looking at, right, not just the Earth, but by looking at creation in terms of, like, the heavens and the stars? Are there things that you guys are looking at uh, that you kind of find kind of interesting and unique that's happened in the last couple of years that you want to share with our parents? Well, well, one thing uh, that is very interesting is we are finding more and more evidence uh, that our solar system is young, just like you would expect based on a straightforward reading of Scripture. Right. Now, you know, and um, now I can understand how some people trip over this issue of distant starlight. How do we see distant starlight in a young universe? Um, <clears throat> you know, we're working on that issue. But, you know, the thing is, the Big Bang has its own version of that problem. Uh, and when you get into deep space, it's a lot more complicated because there's so much we really don't know. Evolutionists think they know more than they really do, but they really don't. But when you look at the solar system, which is where we've got the most direct observations. We've sent space probes all over our solar system. Mm -hmm. We've got data from all these planets and moons. And when you look at our solar system, it really does look young. Uh, It's remarkable how on planet after planet, uh, there are things that are problems for those who believe in billions of years. In fact, the sun itself is a problem for those who believe in billions of years, because there's a well-known problem called the young faint sun paradox, where based on evolutionary ideas about how stars evolve or change over time, you would expect the sun to be about um, only you know 30% dimmer about 4 billion years ago. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but the earth would have been much colder right. because you would have had much less sunlight and the problem for evolutionists is that would imply that the Earth should have been frozen, yet most evolutionists will tell you the Earth was warm at that time as life was supposedly just getting started. So what you have is you have one part of the evolutionary story contradicting another part. And you will see stories in the popular science press every now and then claiming they've solved this problem, but they, they never last. They always get shot down. And I, I think this problem is... I don't think you're ever going to solve it. Uh, it's, it's a very tough problem for them, and it's especially tough for those who believe that our climate is unstable. You okay. know, Many evolutionists have convinced themselves that our climate's unstable. I don't think that's right. I think that's based on evolutionary assumptions. But if you believe that our climate's unstable, it's even harder to solve that problem. And so... <clears throat> you know, that's, so that's an argument against the sun being billions of years old because... You don't expect the sun's brightness to change very much over 6,000 years. Okay, yeah, maybe it could change a lot over billions of years, but you don't expect it to change much over a relatively short time. In fact, there was a famous solar astronomer named John Eddy who once said, and he got some flack for it, uh, he said, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of observational evidence in astronomy that demands the sun be 4.5 billion years old. Now, he believed it was four and a half billion years old. But he said, when you're looking at actual observational data, 
Uh, there's really no reason that we couldn't accept Bishop Usher's age for the earth and the sun. In fact, he said, went on to say something else that's interesting. He says that something that surprises most people. He said the astronomers are getting their cues from the paleontologists, mm. which is absolutely true. Uh, the people who are really driving the show when it comes to beliefs about the age of the earth and the solar system are the paleontologists and the geologists. You know, they think, most people think it's the physicists, but it's really not. It's really the geologists and the paleontologists. And I think when you're looking at actual observational data from astronomy, uh, we do not have to believe in a solar system that's billions of years old. And I think, I think the universe is young as well. I, um, you know, it, it's um, evidence for youth is strongest in our solar system, but even in deep space where you might think evidence for an old universe would be strongest, even there there are anomalies, things that are hard for evolutionists to explain. Now, um, we had just talked to uh, Dr. Hebert, and he mentioned something. Well, I think Dr. Clary. I oh, think. Dr. I'm Dr. 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 Hebert. Dr. Hebert. Yeah, right. That's right. Um, he mentioned something about a blue star. Yes. Just kind of threw it out there, and I was just like, oh, i got to make sure I ask you about that. What, what is that? I haven't heard anything well, about Well, but blue stars have long been a favorite argument of creationists for youth because the hottest blue stars ought to burn through their nuclear fuel in just a few million years. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the thing is, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. The question is, do, is it possible for new blue stars to form today? Now, a lot of creationists, in fact, at ICR, we've long said the answer to that question was no. But to be fair, there are some biblical creationists who think maybe, you know, maybe star formation could happen. You know, the problem for evolutionists is they can't explain the first generation of stars. Hmm. Even if, you know, the, the, the question is, could you have, if you had this big giant gas cloud in space, if it's unstable and it could be triggered to collapse, could you maybe get a star to form? And some creationists like Danny Faulkner think, yeah, maybe, maybe it could. Um, so I don't want to be too dogmatic about that. But, but evolutionists cannot explain the ultimate origin of stars because their star formation theories require at least one generation of stars to already be in existence, or it requires something called dark matter that nobody knows what it is or even for sure if it even exists. And so they, don't, they, they, they have no adequate explanation for the first generation of stars. If you look at just blue stars on the, on the face of it, that would seem to be an argument for youth. But to be fair, uh, you know, it hinges on whether or not you think star formation can still occur today. Yeah. And, and creationists are kind of divided on that point. Yeah. The evolutionary story has a difficult time with an, in, an initial, a creation. Yes. Right? Where, where do things come from? Right. Now, once things are here, right, we had billions and billions of years, and we just kind of give this simplistic concept, right, that one cell becomes two, two right. becomes four, four becomes eight, and we move on, right? right? The, the problem with that is science doesn't support it. <laughs> no, no, that, and that's especially true when you look at biology. There's, there's no evidence whatsoever for evolution from biology, not, and there's no evidence it could have happened. There's no evidence for it in the fossils. Um, now, evolutionists will trot out these supposed transitional forms, but they can't even agree among themselves yeah. about ones that are supposed to prove evolution. So there's just there's no good scientific evidence for evolution. And I think even for the, the earth sciences and physical sciences like astronomy, I think we've got very good reason to believe that the solar system and the universe 
are designed and are young. Yeah. Now, you're a research specialist here. What is it that you're researching right now that's kind of fascinating? Well, you? i tell you what. For about 10 years, I worked on the ice sheets and the ice age because okay. that is something that a lot of people think the thick ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica, they think that's an unanswerable argument for an old earth. Like okay. Guys like Bill Nye, the science guy, routinely appeal to the, the thick ice sheets. Well, I think we've answered that objection. We've shown that that's not the case. And there's some evidence... That that thick ice sheets can be produced in a rapid amount of time? Yes. As opposed to billions and yes. billions of years? Oh, how, yes. How would that happen? <clears throat> well, it, it, it depends on the ice age. Okay. You know, we, we, we think... The, the evolutionists do not have a good explanation for an ice age. Uh, now, they've got a theory that they've had for quite some time called the Milankovitch theory, where they claim that you have these slow changes in the Earth's orbital motions over tens of thousands of years that's supposed to change the way the sunlight falls on earth that's supposed to trigger these periodic or quasi-periodic ice ages mm-hmm. well uh i did some digging on that and we found a major problem with their main argument for that theory and it it turns out that the main piece of evidence for that milankovitch theory hinges on an age assignment that evolutionists no longer accept as valid and if you go back and redo the calculations using the new number, it messes up their results. And then, but they've never told anybody. Okay, they quietly, you know, the, I, the, if you read between the lines, it's evident that around 1996 or 97, they realized there was a problem and they kind of quietly tried to fix it. But they have never candidly admitted that to either the general public or the larger scientific community. Now, the reason I think this is a big deal there are a couple of reasons. First of all, explaining the Ice Age is a is something you got to do. And as creationists, we've got a better Ice Age explanation. And we've we've had it for 30 years. And uh, it was a meteorologist named Mike Ord who came up with this and showed that the Genesis Flood is a great trigger for an Ice Age because of warm oceans and because of these volcanic aerosols that it would have resulted from the flood. The other reason it's a big deal is because the Milankovitch theory is one of the main arguments that our climate is unstable. Mm-hmm. And that, in turn, is one of the main arguments that we should be very worried about climate change. Now, if the Milankovitch theory is not true or if there's no evidence for the Milankovitch theory, then where is your evidence for an unstable climate? Uh, you don't really have much. You've got computer models, but those models have consistently overpredicted the amount of past warming. So... As I don't think they've really got any good reason to think that our climate's unstable or that we're in danger. Uh, now, but that's what I've been working on for the last 10 years. Now, what I'm working on right now, I'm even more excited about. Um, <clears throat> uh, we, as you may know, or may, maybe you don't know, right now at ICR, we've got a big push on biology. We are trying to come up with a bio, an a, 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 um, engineering theory of biological design. Uh, we're trying to do biology like Darwin had never lived. Okay. We're, we're trying to completely uh, break free of some of these shackles, I think, that have, have limited the way people think on these issues. So as, because of that, our president, Dr. Randy Galusa, asked me to look into something called biological scaling uh, because he knew I was interested in the subject of giantism. There's a lot of evidence in the fossil record that a lot of animals were once bigger than they are now. And so I was kind of into that, kind of intrigued by it. And so he asked me to look into that, and so I did. And in the process of doing that, I started looking into longevity. 
and um, did a lot of reading. One thing I found is that there are two things that seem to go along with greater longevity. If you look at these studies that people have done, one is larger adult body size, and the second is delayed maturation. Okay. In other words, animals that have greater, larger adult body sizes and that take longer to become adults, they tend to live longer. Now, here's why that's interesting. If you read Genesis chapter 5, the earliest age at which a biblical patriarch is listed as having a son is 65. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's strong evidence that people were maturing more slowly in the pre-flood world. Now, where this really gets interesting is there is evidence that at least some animals were also maturing more slowly, were growing larger, and were living longer. And so that's something I've been spending a lot of time on for the last year or so, and I'm finding quite a bit of evidence for that. And so I think we are actually finding evidence to corroborate the Bible's testimony about extreme longevity in the pre-flood world. So if if Noah had taken, right, um, two of every animal, right. put them on the flood, uh, they would have been smaller, younger, not maturing as quicker, and then well, after the flood? Well, that's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, and and uh, But the thing is, those creatures that were buried in the flood— uh, a lot of them, we can tell they were bigger. That, that by itself is interesting. But in some cases, there are some animals where that you can construct what we call growth curves. Okay. Where, like, like clams and oysters, they have these growth bands in their shells. Like a and tree. Kind of, yeah, kind of like tree rings. Okay. And uh, unlike tree rings, the number of rings you're trying to cal- uh, count is not all that exorbitant. In some cases, you're looking at maybe a couple of dozen. Okay. But what's interesting is there's one particular oyster out there called the eastern oyster, which everybody eats it for seafood. But if you look at the fossil versions of this oyster, they're about twice as big as they are now. And they're taking about two to three times, no, no, let me rephrase it, about three to four times longer to mature and are living at least three to four times longer. Hmm. Uh, now, I say at least because it, those are minimum numbers. Um, they could very well have been living a lot longer than that. But we've got direct evidence that these oysters were living longer. There's, there's also evidence for some other oysters they may have, that that was probably also true as well. Um, we think there's evidence for that in some of these fossil sharks and some of these giant fossil alligator and crocodile-like animals. Um, So I've submitted some – we've got a paper that's already been published. For those who are interested, it's uh, at the website of the International Conference on Creationism. That was some preliminary evidence for this. Uh, I've got two papers in the pipeline that, Lord willing, will be published very shortly, one in the Creation Research Society quarterly and the other in the Journal of Creation. the one that's one of those is hopefully going to be open access, so people can read it for free. The other one you may have to wait a year unless you're a subscriber to uh, the Journal of Creation. But I, I got to tell you, I am really excited about this research, and I apologize for my voice. I'm, I've been struggling with some bronchitis for a few weeks, uh, but this to me is extraordinarily exciting because this is one of the areas where the skeptics, you know. 
they just love to scoff at the Bible. Mm. There's no way anybody could live to be hundreds of years old. Well, I think we are starting to find evidence that they were. And I, I am super excited about that. Yeah. So that whole Methuselah, right? The yes. Yes. The, the slower maturation. I think right? so. The I think so. Longer and, age. Yep. Right. And it, then and then the flood really does dramatically alter. Yes. Right. All facets, not only of the earth, but of humanity yeah. and animals. So, yeah. Now I'm not. I'm not saying we are at a point where we can explain it yet. Right. But I think we're finding evidence for it, very and I'm good. very excited about that. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, anything else our parents need to know about either April 8th and the eclipse or just things that are going on here at ICR that they'd be interested to know about? Well, they, uh, you know, we're open. The Discovery Center is open from Tuesday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to spend a, an afternoon. It is. Uh, I would recommend if they come, they need to leave themselves the whole day because there's plenty to see. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, we've got, we've got an, an event in Garland this week, uh, at, I believe it's Park Central, Central Park Church in Garland, uh, that's sort of a preliminary for this event. Yeah. Uh, so you guys all have different events at different places. Yes, we do. Those we are do. on your website. People yes, we've got, we've those. got different events that are sort of ramping up yeah. for the solar eclipse. Yeah. And then we also have this big countdown event on the Saturday before. Okay. And Lord willing, we're going to have two NASA astronauts, Jeff Williams and Charlie Duke, some other guest speakers. We're really excited about it. And so uh, we hope that people will, if they, if they can't come to that, at least they'll check out our information. And because uh, this, this is really sort of a, it's, it's rare to be able to see a total solar eclipse. Uh, usually you have to travel a long ways to see it. So for those living in the DFW area, this is a, a great opportunity to see a spectacular example of God's handiwork. Oh, that's so neat. Well, yeah. I'm glad you uh, you had a little bit of time for us uh, today oh, yeah. um, to, to come in and share with our parents. I appreciate the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing. Uh, I know you're excited about it. It's, oh, fun, to, it's yes. fun to see your passion yes. uh, for these things. And uh, and I just appreciate you taking um, your life, the skills, the gifts, and the abilities that God's given you and um, giving them towards a cause that really advances the gospel. Because uh, oh. it, it advances, um, you know, the... the um, ability for people to be able to trust the Bible, yes. right? Because I know a lot of people trust science over the Bible. Mm-hmm. When it, it really should be the opposite, right? We should right. be trusting the Bible. And the, and the thing sure is really what it boils down to, deep down, if we're really honest, they're trusting scientists. Yes. Because many of, many, if you, if you really dig deep and you look at these people who say, well, I'm trusting the science, a lot of times, even for a professional scientist, you have to, you know, you, let's be honest, you can't understand every argument in depth. Yeah. So many times, even these people who claim, well, I'm a scientist and I'm, I'm going by the science. No, let's just be honest. You're really going by what you read somewhere. Because you, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. That research about the Milankovic theory. Okay. That is a classic example. Because... Honestly, the, the scientific establishment should be embarrassed that they made that blunder. And what that goes to show you is that there's a whole bunch of people out there who were accepting that argument for the Milankovitch theory without really understanding it. Sure. And, and I, I, they may cringe. They may, they may balk when I say that, but it's the truth. And, and it took me a lot of work to really understand how they did that and how they got those numbers. And just just 
reading that paper is not enough to really understand what they did. And so whether they like it or not, scientists, too, often takes things on faith. And sometimes that faith is misplaced. Oh, that's a good, that's a good word right there. And uh, so, you know, you know I, 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 I am more than happy to puncture this illusion that um, scientists never take anything on faith. That's just not true. And if they're honest, brutally honest, they will admit that. Yeah. Because you cannot, ex- you cannot verify for yourself everything you, that you accept is true. You can't do it. You would not be able to function. You know, forget doing research. You wouldn't even be able to function as a human being. So um, we need to be honest with ourselves, okay? And I'll admit, you know, there's, there, you know, I don't understand plate tectonics the way John Baumgartner does or other, some other creation scientists. We all take things, you know, we trust people. But the question is, who is your ultimate authority, and what is worthy of your greatest trust? And that's the Bible. The Word of God ought to receive more trust from you than anything else, uh, because scientists are fallible, they make mistakes, and sometimes they they fudge. Like it or not, sometimes they fudge. And so um, I'm just happy to do my little part here to show people that they can trust the Bible, that it's, it's God's Word and it's telling the truth about history. And again, for scientists out there who balk when I say that they take things on faith, that Milankovitch research that I mentioned is a classic example. I love it. I love it. Not only is God's word true, but his handiwork and creation demonstrates that truth. And the more we can pay attention to it, study it, look at it, and tell the truth about what we see, the more we'll understand that God's word is true. Amen. Dr. Ebert, thank you for your time. Thanks for your work here at ICR. You guys keep uh, doing such a great job, and hopefully you'll see a lot of our families from PCA making their way through the Discovery Center. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay. Thank you for investing the time to listen to this episode of The Journey. Please take a minute to share with friends and family who will also benefit from this valuable resource. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It is truly our blessing and honor to walk with you on The Journey.